Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Spirits and Psychics, Adventures in New Age and the Occult. I'm your host, Morgan Dolan. And I'm Norm. I'm just here to learn. We're here to explore the people and phenomena that have shaped how we understand the unseen world. Hey, Norm. Hello. So do you know what we're talking about today? Well, the the chat we're in says spiritualism, exclamation point. I'm curious if this is big S or little s, though, or if there's a difference. I don't know if there's a difference, but if okay. I had to choose, I'd say it's a big S spiritualism. Really? So what do you know about spiritualism? What does this word bring up for you? Well, <laughs> you're making me doubt anything I thought I knew. I thought spiritualism was less big C Christianity, you know, and more of a general category of belief systems. Like I feel like theology could fit under the umbrella of spiritualism. I don't, I don't know. I guess my, the closest thing to a definition I have is that it, it describes a general category of belief in souls or similar kind of immeasurable transphysical energies and entities? Well, the short answer to that is no. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> but kind of. So the spiritualism we're talking about today is specifically spiritualism as it was known from the mid-1800s when people started Believing in ghosts to the point that they could be communicated with via a medium. You you tend not to see too many caveman ghosts running around, do you? They they start Victorian and go up to the 1960s, so that makes sense. Well, that's because spiritualism was a religious, social, political phenomenon that started in the mid-1800s and kept going in waves, but kept going strong till the mid-1920s? Was, is the real heyday that we're going to go through here. So we're on a journey of multiple generations. I'm so confused. This is like a religion, you're saying? Like a, an organized belief system? It is religion in a pantheon kind of way. So there's an overarching religion, but where it really emerges is as a backlash against Calvinist and strict baptism at the time. And I'll get into that here in a second. But let's start with... Let's start on this journey of spiritualism that I have for you. Take me with you. Okay, so, and we'll even hit the modern day. So we're not just staying in the past. Spiritualism still exists. Sure. Yeah, not as, a, as belief systems are want to do. So the cute definition I have here is spiritualism was a new religious movement aimed at proving the immortality of the soul by establishing communication with the spirits of the dead. Okay, okay. I was right about like the ectoplasm part of it. There's there's souls and spirits. Ectoplasm will feature. It's funny that you mentioned that word. That'll come <laughs> along later. Yeah. And the key words here are immortality of the soul and communicating with the dead. Okay. We're in the 1800s, so I assume everyone is Christian, or at least pretending to be. Mm -hmm. Isn't that... I don't know if Christianity is the first religion to talk of souls, but didn't it? Like, aren't souls? It does, but you'll hopefully see the nuance when we get to the specific difference of the soul here. So, okay. But what makes, also, we should continue, this is not just religion itself. It also is occupying a you know, social space, this reactionary space. And specifically, it becomes really influenced by women in the time. Well, this is sounding very, very familiar. So let me start with a long quote to set the tone. 
from a book called Radical Spirits, which was a wonderful source. (laughs) At a time when no churches ordained women, and many forbade them to speak aloud in church, spiritualist women had equal authority, equal opportunities, and equal numbers in religious leadership, while most religious groups viewed the existing order of gender, race, and class relations as ordained by God. Ardent spiritualists appeared not only in the women's rights movement, but through most the most radical reform movements of the 19th century. They led so-called ultraist wings of the movements for the abortion of slavery, for the reform of marriage, for children's rights, and for religious freedom, and they actively supported socialism, labor reform, vegetarianism, dress reform, health reform, temperance, and anti-sabbatarianism, to name a few of their favorite causes. All right, hang on. Anti-sabbatarianism, as in working on Sunday? Anti-sabbath. Oh my goodness. So that's like a, that's a labor organization thing. So that sounded super witchy to me. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds, in, in the sense that like witchy was this kind of uh, goo feminist thing wrapped up in like pagan ritual, right? But what you just described sounds an awful lot like people who want to be witches but stay right with God. And so they've created this framework for basically applying nominal Christian values equitably. But the other key factor that's taking over spiritualism, besides being this space that all these contrarian beliefs are starting to propagate, is that spiritualism is seen as being proven under test conditions inside the seance room. Oh, of course it is. So, Yeah, I think I did this at a slumber party, right? Light as a feather, stiff as a board. (laughs) But because you're experiencing it directly with a medium and you're being exposed to spirits and having the experience and it's being real to you, it's occupying this place of, well, instead of listening to a preacher, I'm directly connecting with the spirits, with the great beyond. It's seen as a super highway in the faith. I mean... Is that so different from the, the, I don't know what faith it is, but the speaking in tongues and handling snakes? You know what I'm talking about? I do, but it's not quite that. spirit takes you or something? Yes, but this isn't that. (laughs) Not quite, at least. But it's instead of asking a congregant to believe something, it's saying, come experience it. And it's promoting this radical individualism of faith. So I quote, What constitutes convincing evidence of spiritual presence? Big hits in modern New Age are considered channeled through A Course in Miracle, Seth Seeks, but more in this time, Aleister Crowley's work in Thelema and pre-spiritualism, there's already a belief in mesmerism. Oh. So before spiritualism kicks off as we know it, and I'll describe what kicked it off, the ground is fertile with this belief in mesmerism, which is an early form of hypnosis that came out of Europe. There's a belief in animal magnetism, which is a phrase I've heard, but didn't quite know what it was. It believes that all living fauna possess an energy that can be directed by skilled practitioners to heal illness, although it was eventually extended to also encompass telepathy and communication with the dead. Magnets, yeah. Anything that was like compelling, but not not easy to uh, like self-replicate. But I mentioned that because just to say that this doesn't come out of nowhere, but there is a real kickoff event. So spiritualism, as we know, it gets rolling in the mid-1800s, pre-Civil War, mm. with a group called the Fox Sisters, a bunch of girls from the Fox family. Like Guy Fox or like Sly Like a Fox? It's spelled like an animal, F-O-X, but okay. they were in a farmhouse and started essentially having a raps, you know, knocks produced in the house, and all their neighbors show up, 
and everyone believes that there is a spirit possessing the house. And this comes out to explain that the girls are all mediums and are channeling the spirits into this house. <laughs> I feel like I was a lot more credulous last time because right now I'm just going, my God, I can think of 50 ways to fake that. Well, ultimately they did what sounds like the first seance in a hotel with a door fee and it got reported in papers all over the country. They were passed around to different families like little medium wards and they converted people through the phenomenon by then having these girls in their house and raps and knocks start going. People saying, this girl is channeling a spirit in my house. Sounds fun as a novelty, but I'm I'm very dubious how you spin this into a religion. Like, I can see, this is like the heyday of yellow journalism and all that, yeah? Like, people just want a good story. They're not interested in a journalistic pursuit of truth. So if your friends are like, dude, we had these sisters over the other night, and the house was knocking. It was insane. Like, they don't have LPs right now. Of course this would take off, but... You wouldn't vote that person into office. Well, the popularity relative to the phenomenon that comes is really a flash in the pan, but their influence was really summed up well by this quote here. Whether or not Kate and Margaret controlled the raps, they did not determine the meaning attributed to them by others. The interpretations of investigators, rather than the manifestations themselves, provided the content of the new religion. So people just start speculating what it means, or they're clearly channeling spirits, so now we have to figure out who they are, what they are, and what they're trying to say, Basically, which is unprovable. Because it's getting so yeah. heavily reported on, it's becoming a locus for people to project their own beliefs on that's already encompassing these other things mm -hmm. that are boiling up. So. What I think is really interesting is they basically had the best case scenario out of any sort of haunting movie. It's like haunted house, tons of people show up, <laughs> everyone convinced it's true and authentic, and it's published about all over the country. And so the family moved out of their house and started doing seances and group performances around the country. And I mean, they filled live theaters, committees start getting formed to verify <laughs> the authenticity, which included strip searches. <laughs> And this was a really fun detail I found in some of my research. Frederick Douglass was a supporter of the Fox sisters. Uh, well, yeah, if they're part of a movement that supports abolition, you'd let them knock on a wall. We're not even there yet. We're not even there yet. Oh, we're not to that point? No, you're in the supporter camp. You're saying, yeah, they're totally channeling spirits. He's just on board. Okay. Also, can I just say what a riot it must have been to see the reader board outside of theaters back in the day? Where it's like, it's not just a musical act, it's a seance, it's a mesmerist. It's these hoaxers just showing up to town being like, listen, I got a show. So at the time, they're viewed as half authentic, so half the population sees them as authentic mediums, and half yeah. thinks they're a joke. And it's like, oh, what's this? So yeah. pretty much you're, you're in my reaction. And they get pretty quickly eclipsed by new mediums who have more impressive acts and the Fox sisters fade into the background and sadly a demise of poverty and alcoholism, which... Yeah, you'll have that. But it just really strikes me as like, wow, this is what would happen if everyone thought Amityville Horror was real. I mean, yeah. Granted, I'm willing to pay to see Amityville Horror... My uh, my skepticism doesn't prevent me from enjoying it. So unfortunately, by 1888, so about two and a mm. half decades later, this era of spiritualism is waning and 
two of the three sisters walk back absolutely everything in op-eds mm -hmm. in the New York Herald, calling spiritualism a curse of society and themselves, <laughs> as well as claiming the rapping was caused by bones in the feet. Bon so they were just stomping their feet? Cracking their feet. Wait, they were popping their toes in their shoes and everyone was convinced. What, were they wearing like Dutch clogs or something? Well, this is why, even at the time, people were skeptical of their walking all this stuff back because they were heavy alcoholics and all pretty oh, miserable. <laughs> and I think they might have <laughs> recommitted themselves to Jesus by this point. Mm. And for a timeline, they get started with this in 1854 and they're out of the game by 1861. I can see how even as a scam artist, you might draw the line post-Civil War being like, Maybe I shouldn't be telling people that I can commune with spirits. That's going to mean something now that we've come out of a long, bloody conflict. And so what I think is really notable about the Fox sisters is that besides the perfect haunting outcome that they expressed, is mm -hmm. that they have the position to be very critical of all mediums that come after because they kicked it all off and they were done in six years. I mean, they weren't booking any more shows. And this goes way past them. And there's also a real heart of classism because they were so poor. So they were, you know, farm girls that essentially got 15 minutes of fame and were able to tour mm. the country for several years and then kind of got chewed up and spit out by the fame machine of the time. And they weren't That's set up rough. to survive without it. So yeah. spiritualism spreads like wildfire around the country. Mediums are coming out of the woodwork everywhere. And Part of the reason is because the only way to figure out if it works is to try. <laughs> it's a little bit like anyone who's ever brought a Ouija board to a party. Yeah. But is this new devotees or is this more different people coming up with creative ways to pop their toes or whatever to <laughs> create the sensory experience people are looking for? Well, it's a bit more of everyone's trying, throwing anything at the wall and seeing what sticks. So right. in this time period, what does a seance look like? I mean, what comes to mind when you think of a seance? Sitting around a table in candlelight, usually holding hands, often doing a recitation or maybe not a chant, but, you know, is so-and-so in the room? Are there any spirits who would like to talk? I don't know what movie this is from, but I, I have a very specific scene in my mind. There was a classic scene, Penny Dreadful, that series, the hmm. typical Victorian, you know, dark, sure. dark wind howling. But in this <laughs> early era, there's a lot more singing and like religious okay. revival going on. Yeah. So there's a bit more of a joyful element. It's not as dark and freaky as I think we think of Ouija board and seance activity now. I can see how that also just shows like the slow seep of the macabre into the mainstream. So this first wave of spiritualism goes pretty much to the turn of the century. And we see a meteoric rise in people who claim they can manifest spirits, engage with spirits, and it has a huge theatrical element. And most figures out of this period end up getting debunked by the end of it. Sure. And it's a little, it's a little different than how we think of debunking a modern medium now. So... Let me walk you through some people who were the big acts of this time. So you had the Davenport brothers who would be tied to chairs and placed mm -hmm. inside a large wooden enclosure called a spirit cabinet, along with a bunch of musical instruments. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the Davenport bros are tying each other up and going into porta potties with glockenspiels on the walls. More like a, like really a box. It's like a little shipping container. 
but on a stage with yeah. a bunch of instruments. So horns, drums, things okay. like that. Okay. And then <laughs> while they're all tied up and then the music starts playing once they close the doors. <laughs> <laughs> way to just telegraph what's gonna happen and so <laughs> i'm gonna go in this box <laughs> tie up <laughs> will the instruments make noise i don't know they also were reported to make their instruments levitate while their hands are tied and oh. it inside the box inside the box <laughs> Why not? But makes, and they were on fire at the same time. You just missed it. But what makes it, and so what makes it really significant is they end up teaching, one of the brothers ends up teaching all these secrets to Harry Houdini. I knew it. I was like, this is some Harry Houdini stuff. So it's just showmanship. Out of this whole movement, you're seeing what's the beginning of stage magicianship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what what are they really doing? They're getting out of the knots and playing all the instruments and then slipping right. back into them. Yeah. So typical escapist stuff that we think of now, but back then it was pretty exciting. So it emerged out of a genuine popular belief in the authenticity of it, even though now we would call them like illusionists. And they said they had a spirit with them that would play all the stuff and they could contact it. And that's how everything got played inside the spirit cabinet. It would be fun to watch, but I, I cannot believe that people are going, my God, he's doing Stamptown races. But... One time in London, they couldn't get their tour started in the UK because they couldn't get out of the knots. It was tied too tight. So they had to make up some excuse and the crowd completely rioted. They had to get out of, of England. Of course. <laughs> they had to get out of England lickety split. No one wants the spirit cabinet to stay quiet. They want to hear the horns. So there was an Italian medium spiritualist named Eusapia Palladino who would levitate a table. That was her big thing. And while everyone held hands around it. And... Fun. Later, she was repeatedly caught freeing her foot from her shoe and levitating the table. You don't say. And so there's some mediums like Florence Cook who actually, quote, materialize spirits during their seances. And the spirit would go around and touch and interact with visitors. This is like the 4D rides at Universal Studios. I can smell Shrek. He's so stinky. The weirdest thing is she wasn't disproved in her lifetime. Mostly and most probably because these mediums had... They had whole setups around them. You have people who want to keep them in business, who are helping them run the mm -hmm. thing. You, sure. you need someone in there to disprove you. But it's uh, mostly assumed that the materialized spirit was actually a person just draped in Muslim and with lighting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds about right. It, it seems so ridiculous by our modern sensibilities. I almost didn't include it, but it was a huge thing. I mean... I'm still tickled by the, like, floating face in the carriage at the end of the haunted mansion. I know it's not real, but it's a ride, man. So, D.D. Holmes was another famous guy, and he got caught doing weird things with his toes all the time. But he used a trick <laughs> called the human clamp, which involved a medium using their hands on top of the table to start it rocking from side to side, and then they'd wedge their foot underneath it and then use their foot to keep it going so they could levitate it. Okay. So this is real illusionist stuff. Look here, we're talking yep, here, yeah. they're doing something with yeah. my foot over here. <laughs> and this is pretty interesting. When one young girl claimed to channel spirits, she crossed paths with Freud and Carl Jung when they were on a lecture tour. This sounds like a guy walked into a bar joke. Anyway, they diagnosed her with 
possible incipient dementia praecox, which is an early weird way of describing schizophrenia. And oh. so also out of this whole movement, we're seeing the beginning of the study of psychology, naming and dismissing any understanding of spirits or the spiritual and seeing it as all let's look at it through the mind through we understand how it works and it's really here that we see the seed of framing spirits and engaging with the spiritual world as being associated with being mentally ill or not legitimate interesting so so far we have stage magicianship and psychology so was the psychology born out of a rejection of the spiritualist narrative or is that just kind of a convergent evolution thing where like people were already looking into that and this became a platform for publicizing it. I think it's already happening all at the same time, mm. but it's in the background of what's going on in the social consciousness way. And I think right. psychology definitely was much more of a precise science in comparison. Or could, could be more readily presented as such. Definitely. It was a way of, we've got it figured out and... Yeah, your which toe, is always appealing. Your toes aren't it. <laughs> So what made spiritualism a religion? Before we go further in depth, let's talk about what made this actually work as any sort of religious philosophy. Indeed. So what is it about talking to the dead that made it a religion? Because as you mentioned, it, as I also think, souls are pretty pan-religious, pretty spiritual, it's pretty wide. And yet it's the center point of this religion. So a guy named Dale Owen, originally Scottish-born guy who came to the U.S. and became a U.S. representative, oddly enough, in the mid-1800s. And here's a fun fact. His dad came from Scotland to set up a, quote, socialist utopia community in New Harmony, Indiana. But that was- Good like, on him. That was like 1825. But he comes from an interesting background. And he wrote some mm. of the most succinct religious literature we have about spiritualism as a religion. Interesting. All right. So here's some tenets. One. There is a phase of life after the death change in which identity is retained, the same diversity of character being exhibited among spirits as here on earth, among men. So it's like your classic afterlife scene where everyone is just played by the same actor and when they're wearing like white robes or something. You're still yourself just that in the spirit world. Two, under certain conditions, the spirits of the dead have the power to communicate with the living. Mm -hmm. Three. Spirits, when in communication with Earth, have the power of moving considerable weights and of producing certain sounds, also the power of reading in the minds of some men and women, but perhaps not all. They experience many difficulties in communicating, and partly because of this, but partly also for other reasons, their communications are often uncertain and unreliable. That is such an elegant way to say nothing. Spirits are totally real. They can do some stuff but not always, and not depending on who's around. We don't know why. Probably just because they're super, super real. Four, spirits communicate more readily when the communications happen to coincide with the thoughts or expectations of the questioner. You don't say. Yet they do, in many instances, declare what is unthought of and unexpected by those to whom the communications is made. What you think will happen will probably happen. One of the conditions of spiritual communion is the presence of one or more of a class of persons peculiarly gifted and who are usually called mediums. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This communion occurs not through any suspension of the laws of nature, but in accordance with certain constant laws, with the operation of which we are very imperfectly acquainted. This is just devilry, but for devil-fearing Christians. We can do all this kooky stuff, 
but it's it's the good version. It's not nefarious. It's not satanic. So he affirms the existence of spiritual communications, but he also offers a mm. warning. Intimations from another world, supposing their reality, may be useful. They may be highly suggestive. They may supply invaluable materials for thought, just as the opinions of some wise men or the advice of some judicious friend here upon earth might do. But no opinion, no advice from friend or stranger ought to be received as infallible or accepted as a rule of action until reason shall have sat in judgment upon it and decided to the best of her ability its truth and worth that sounds so much like a disclaimer you might see at the bottom of the tv screen when they're telling you about this miracle pill it's the most amazing thing ever it might kill you you know don't mess with it but what i think so interesting about this as like a foundational document of how how you make this into a religion is that it clearly <laughs> is co-opting the right naysayers perspective of you know spiritualism not working for you but also allows this huge cutout for it to be real and be real in someone's life yeah it's it's less tenets of faith and more like debate tactics yeah and that's what i think allows it really to grow as this hub of all these other social and political beliefs of the time is that you don't have to believe in anything you essentially just have mm -hmm. to say i like to hang out in people's rooms and we like try to talk to ghosts yeah. and then we do and <laughs> it's a social club <laughs> yeah it's making it socially acceptable and it's it's completely amorphous like it kind of is whatever you want it to be and you can if if the spirits are going to talk to you based on what you bring to the conversation, then you can kind of hear anything. It's it's a very choose your own miracle. So what I find also proof of this is that spiritualists had tons of papers. I mean, like a newspaper. And oh, it goes across the country and goes across different social groups. So it's sprawls into different hobbies, activities, social identities and other religions that are already existing in the patchwork of the country. So there are German-speaking spiritualist papers, French-speaking, African-American, white Northern Protestants. The lady who wrote Little Women was from a spiritualist family. Of course she was. And it across both the South and the North, they attracted, quote, intellectuals dissatisfied with the sectarianism of churches. So wouldn't it be nice if we could all just get along? No, it's more like we want to get involved in in politics other things mm. so there's i read it as they want to have a more of a community organizing aspect of yeah. the church which is so de rigueur now that it's hard to imagine it ever wasn't that way but it was pretty avant-garde so there's a few canny people realizing there's so many that have this thing in common if we could somehow weaponize that we could get something done i don't even know if it was that pointed at the time really but because you start a whole, how do you start a whole paper about talking to dead people? And the answer is you don't. The, the paper is about other things of right. interest to people who happen to also believe you can talk to dead people, which is kind of no different than having a paper around a religion where instead of you don't write about a Christianity newspaper, just mm -hmm. Jesus all day, every day, you're talking about community issues and values right. of the community and you're organizing yourself just in an alternate way. It's it's not a different kind of paper. It's just a lens on things that are going to be written about anyway. Yeah. And uh, in case you're wondering, the uh, 
Catholic Church really wasn't into it. Yeah, I bet they weren't. So in 1856, they decreed that bishops put forth every effort for the suppression of spiritual practices, quote, in order that the flock of the Lord may be protected against the enemy, the deposit of faith safeguarded, and the faithful preserved from moral corruption. So they're not coming out and decrying it as satanic or a cult. They're just kind of pulling like a mean girls and being like, no, I'm the popular one. And uh, there's a decree from the Holy Office, which is the top decider on Catholic doctrine. <laughs> the top decider. All and, right. and they wrote uh, in 1898, well, they condemn spiritualism, even when seeking to communicate with only good spirits. Mm -hmm. And the book, uh, The Dangers of Spiritualism, came out in 1901. And once the Ouija board became popular in the 1910s, then Pope Pius X, in case you wanted that detail, mm -hmm. he commissioned a book called The New Black Magic and the Truth About the Ouija Board. Okay. So, so the polite pleas to stay Catholic and not embrace spiritualism have turned into, well, then it's Satan. And that really set the tone for how we think of the Ouija board as a gateway to evil and occult yeah. forces. Despite by that time, these talking boards had already been used for at least half mm -hmm. a century prior. So they're a little late to the party by that time. And we should probably do our entire episode about the Ouija board specifically. I would love that. <laughs> I'm here for that. And then also, so during the growth of spiritualism, those first 50 years, 1850s to the turn of the century, as we mentioned, mm. psychology is also becoming a new field of study. Right. In 1890, William James published The Principles of Psychology, establishing it as the name of a science devoted to exploring human mental processes. Prior to James, calling something psychological referred to the presence of psyche, which, in case you need a refresher, actually means the human soul, spirit, or mind. Really? Or in the case of spiritualism and mediums, just the human spirit that has passed. I did not know that. So there's a, a deep overlap there between the emerging field of psychology and maybe some early version of a psychic. Mm -hmm. So interesting how those words sort of sprung yeah. these very different plants. Well, it's like astronomy and astrology, right? Mm -hmm. They both sound like the study of the stars, but what's being studied is very different. So the book Radical Spirits lays out actually what I thought was a really clear example of how someone went from skeptical to converted to this new faith and okay it allows a lens into how spiritualism is is spreading and really working on people so it's the example of a woman named mary robbins post so step one the desire for empirical evidence of the immortality of the soul so mary robbins post goes and sees the fox sisters and okay <laughs> saw manifestations through them and evidence of spirits i take this to mean that she Whatever she experienced with her senses was real enough to mm. her that it yeah. objectively passed scrutiny. And she went in skeptical and came out going, I seen it. I seen it. I believe it. And it doesn't matter after that point how quote unquote real it is because she experienced it. She's taken it in as fact. And this leads to step two, the rejection of Calvinism or evangelicalism in favor of a more liberal theology. And Mary Robbins Post goes on to read the book called The Harmonial Philosophy by Andrew Jackson Davis, not the president, um, <laughs> that gave philosophical reasons for why spirits did what they did, cosmology of how it all works. So this, this seems like it kind of parallels Protestantism kind of emerging and displacing the kind of puritanical version of Christianity that kind of originally came to our shores. So she's seen 
she's seen it as reality and then she starts to be exposed to just another way of interpreting her pre-existing faith that's a bit more open so she she experienced something that she reads as profound and she's willing to accept compelling explanations especially if they gel with her existing system of faith now i'll talk more a little bit about that book later on but step three of this conversion process is it hits home for her her daughter dies unexpectedly Ooh. and quote the desire to overcome bereavement through communication with the departed of loved ones and yeah. this is the censure she describes the existing calvinist and christian perspective on death at the time as being like pretty bleak like well they're gone yeah. maybe they're having a good time there's not a lot of discussing heaven or as a concept not as we think of it now as like a destination yeah and in contrast spiritualism then says the soul is still intact they're just on another plane they're just on another rad adventure and they're still knowable to us they're still okay so it's more definitive and more positive without contradicting it's way more positive they even went so far to say that like when little children died they would be little children in the spirit world and then people would be raising them up and they'd age with you so they're not just stuck wow. in that age they're growing and they're cared for and everyone's loving them and a real one-to-one -one is being communicated in this so not just how we think of it now when we look at discussions of the afterlife in most religious context where you're imagining it as this bright fantastic paradise yeah. of ecstasy it's no no they're really growing and cared for it's very parallel to yeah. to the real world it's a second life but without pain and so it's incredibly adaptive to your own grieving process sure and way more hopeful and i totally get how some girl saying there are raps in her house turn into a religion from that standpoint how deeply reassuring but it makes me wonder why it took comparatively so long to get like it sounds so appealing especially in an era with such high mortality infant mortality maternal mortality it's a it's a rough time and it's not until people are starting to experiment with electricity that a real popular belief emerges in a very specific well maybe not very specific but definitively positive and appealing afterlife narrative well part of this is how it frames the role of women in the religion and the role of women in spiritual life and so i really want to drive home just how crazy liberal spiritualism was if that opening right. quote i gave you didn't quite sum it up <laughs> it elevated women's role into the stratosphere compared to the norm and oddly enough because mediumship is so central to the belief system that's the whole role that pulls women along because women mm -hmm. are seen as inherently more connected to the spirit world and thus more likely to be mediums and so women are giving lectures they're speaking in sermons they're speaking at all compared to not doing any of that in traditional uh, congregations at the time almost like being a person they're speaking in trance they're speaking at seances they're the mouthpiece for spirits and previously the existing norm that i saw referred to in one book as the quote cult of true womanhood oh no that's a margaret atwood <laughs> mm -hmm. bs right there and this cult of true womanhood saw women as fundamentally pure pious passive oh, and domestic and I can only also assume pretty. And if someone really doesn't fit that mold in any way, their only option is for their whole role in society to be taken away or at least threatened. And that's pretty huge. 
So if you're not fitting this real rigorous, this is how you got to yeah. be, we're going to... This is like the hero's journey, but for romantic comedies. And so I find it interesting that socially, even then, so women are seen as being close to God and more pious, but it's so in this realm of the domestic. And because women are in this role of the domestic, you're more close to all this infant mortality, to all this early child death. You're caring for the sick relatives. Right. Why wouldn't any opportunity to have a more open view of how death works just be a balm to the soul in that environment? And a way to connect with other women going through what you're going through. Oh, yeah. And also, I didn't get a lot of accounts about how spiritualism was affected by the Civil War. I was focusing in other mm. places. But also, we had the Civil War at this time in the country. Lots of dead people. Lots of driving yeah. that home so that Mary Robbins Post experience of this, of essentially seeing something, reading something, having a death in the family, was probably yeah. played out thousands and thousands of times around the country. In all the most populous areas, yeah. And so it's a real example of an adaptive belief system merging, emerging in the face of a maladaptive belief system. So mm. I've talked about those terms with you before, but yeah. let's just go over it now. Like an adaptive belief system is something that supports your, your growth, supports your life, and a maladaptive one is just the opposite. And that's going to show up, I'm sure, in topics from here to yeah. add infant, <laughs> infant dump. And it really is crucial because a maladaptive spiritual belief can really lead into the territory of spiritual abuse, both from, yes. your, from others, how you treat yourself, and you know, propagating our lives with a maladaptive belief system builds our perception of the world as something so separated you know, from a wider reality. And it gets encrusted with a real certainty that a more adaptive belief system or a wider, more generous interpretation of things is much more empowering and really changes the role of spirituality in life. So yeah, it makes it something less punitive. Exactly. And so anyway, back to this fun narrative. So the guy that wrote that book, The Harmonial Philosophy, he mm. went on to write a newspaper and these newspapers or pamphlets were like the podcasts of the 1800s. Yeah. They were everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And he specifically identified the belief that the Catholic belief that unbaptized babies don't go to heaven. And, you know, in a case, whether it was real or imagined, but he wrote about it, was a Catholic woman, very devout, gives birth to a stillborn mm. and is so devastated mm. that the baby couldn't be baptized that both by the event, you know, and the, and the certainty of the belief that that's what's happening. Right. She dies by suicide. And so Davis, the author, goes and rebukes Protestantism as a whole for not doing away with this belief already about right. the unbaptized. And that's, you know, an example of refuting a maladaptive belief in the face yeah. of one that is more adaptive. Huh. That's that seems rather brazen though to be directly challenging church doctrine. Oh, it was a wild time, I guess. <laughs> like people were ch yeah. challenging church doctrine in a lot of ways when yeah. when it's just so wild and woolly yeah. in the country at this time and not to mention you know in Europe being in flux. Hmm. So, you know, this example of this belief about your baby not going to heaven. Davis then goes on to say that in spiritualism and the spiritual messages he's received, he talked about how souls they advance beyond death. He's laying out that babies are cared for. They learn to read and write. They can visit the land of the living at will. They know you in your absence as though they'd been kept living. So they still know you as their mother. Then wow. there is truly life beyond. And this promise that one's own death, you'll be reunited. 
they're not lost to you. Who wouldn't be on board with that? Yeah, that's sugar for the soul. That's great. Yeah, I mean, it's not all grannies kicking off in their 90s. I mean, we're talking about babies, kids, son, daughters, husbands. I mean, we take it for granted how shielded from death we are in this modern era. I've talked with you about this at length before in Mm -hmm. my own maternal journey. And, you know, we just, it was just so common in previous times and yet also profoundly private because so much of it occurred in a gendered space. You know, the mourning period, oddly enough, was also really stiff and prolonged. So you didn't, you had to observe like pretty formal social rituals, you know, clothing and so on. And yet you're not talking about it. So you're you're quiet but visible. You're you're acknowledging it, but you're not communicating about it. And so oddly enough, spiritualism does the opposite. It mm. offers a way of like casting off the sadness of death to be like, yes, this is terrible, but it's isn't it wonderful that he, they're they're living on. Right. So you don't need to be so just beaten down by mourning. Well, it it sounds like at the same time that it's giving you a better narrative to. To go through your grief, it's also giving you a community of people that you're now allowed to communicate about it with. Yeah, and probably talk about it, have a seance about it, and not just be in black clothes and sad. (laughs) To be able to do something in the face of the inevitability of death, and it's always poor timing. That that goes, this has become empowering on so many levels. Okay, so now we get into what I think of as phase two of the uh-huh. spiritualist movement. So as I already said, the Civil War contributed to spiritualism going off like gangbusters in the 1860s. But World War I reignited mm. the waning role of spiritualism. And I find this shift really interesting. So by that time that the Pope published that book on spiritualism being evil, it's yeah. already fading. It's been around for 60 years at that point. Like we've had generations of family. It's probably boring. And yeah. Both World War I and stage magicianship really mm-hmm. kicks off making the old new again. And so massive tragedy combined with very professionalized craftsman advances in showmanship and just creative theatricality. And already by the 1920s, it's a different world. So, so many of the things yeah. that women were struggling with that caused spiritualism to rise in like 1850, you're seeing the infant mortality rates going down a lot. You have uh, psychology has emerged, religions, splinter Christianity, congregations have already formed. Socially, you're in a different place. So there's a, that's why I call it phase two. <laughs> already yeah. so many things have developed. And well, there's uh, suffrage, depending on where you are in the world, suffrage is going on. Mm-hmm. And you also have your flapper girls of the 1920s. So there's a very different identity available. So here's here's something for you. Did you know <laughs> that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was a spiritualist? I did know that. And then I remember the, the people, the two girls who took pictures of fairies, which were obviously cardboard cutouts, <laughs> just like in their backyard. And Conan Doyle was just like, yes, that's real. And my wife who recently died is totally talking to me and fairies are real and everything's going to be okay. Well, he lost 11 members of his family to World War One, which wasn't mm. uncommon in England. Right. And he also lost his like beloved son to the flu after he was already back in England. And yeah. he found out apparently right before he was set to give a speech about spiritualism. And so he's there on the podium telling it to the crowd and saying something like either... 
my son lives or my son lives on Mm -hmm. and really, you know, putting his money where his mouth is when it comes to expressing it. He, he comes from a religious upbringing and was a man of science or materialism as he calls it. And I like that word. Mm -hmm. And he gets to, he gets converted to spiritualism by receiving a message he can't explain that turned out to be right on the money, whatever it was. And he said about it in 1919, quote, the same forces that brought me out of orthodoxy into materialism are the very forces which have brought me out of materialism into spiritualism. In each case, I followed the evidence and I tried to obey what my reason told me was true. I found that materialism was not, as I thought, a terminus, but that it was a junction at which one changed from a line of faith to the line of experience. So that it's that first person experience getting first person evidence for this new faith system which i find fascinating and dangerous yes because it the implications of it are huge it's essentially saying there's no greater reality than what i personally experience Mm -hmm. which in this case is rejecting i mean i the church to some extent but also this logos of strict uh i hesitate to say science but we'll use his word materialism It's very populist, too. Like, even if you believe in mediums, it's a belief that anyone can be a medium in a different way than someone can become a Catholic cardinal or something. And like you were saying, if the ministry is 100% male, then, well, here's a way that you can be a leader, a figurehead, a teacher, whatever, without the, the contrivances of that architecture. And keep in mind, at this point, 1920s, he's hella famous. I mean, right. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle published Sherlock Holmes in 1887. He's mega already. He's yeah. very, a very big deal. And so he becomes friends with Harry Houdini, who is of course. the opposite, where <laughs> Harry Houdini started wanting to believe in spiritualism and longing to believe and saw the tricks and turned into a hugely famous skeptic and the biggest debunker of mediums that probably ever lived. Right, because he knew all the techniques and could... And so I say friendship, but my read on it was that this was one of those famous people friendships where they decide to kind of be friends. It's Right. They're not best buddies for an, forever and ever. They meet each other. It seems Harry Houdini wants to be friends with him socially, and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle kind of wants to convert him. And it's this friction that kind of keeps them together. And so this is... A particular account that I find rather striking. Their friendship only lasts for a few years, but it's so profound that I think Harry Houdini kept the letters in like a special box and it was clearly important, but doesn't, they can't maintain it for so long because they're really on separate sides of this belief spectrum. So in 1922, they go to Atlantic City with the Doyles, (laughs) which this is great. And Lady Doyle holds a seance, which I mean, how uncomfortable would you be doing a seance in a room with known skeptic by that point, Harry Houdini? He's published books already by that point, right. exposing mediums. He's very out there with how much he thinks it's all BS. Yeah. And this is the wrong table to slide your toe under. And Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's wife is like, I can talk to spirits. Let's do it. And so before he sits down to the seance, Harry Houdini's wife tells him, look, me and Lady Doyle were talking a lot yesterday about your dead mother and, you know, it's her birthday that day that they're doing the seance. Mm-hmm. So the wife was like, heads up. And so Harry Dina goes in and 
he writes about the event kind of like he's holding his breath that it might work and Mm. kind of wanting it to work like in his little heart of hearts and also entertaining the friend whose wife wants to hold a seance for you and anyway so lady doyle goes into a trance and starts automatic writing so like your hand is moving but you're not watching what you're writing yeah pretty much and this is a technique my own grandmother automatic wrote a book communicating with uh my grand with my grandfather after he passed so people still do it i mean that was in the 70s but it was it's a technique that is still around right and as a technique I mean, I haven't looked into it. I'm sure it can be debunked to the extent all these ex- these things can, but it's still used by a lot of people to find meaning in, you know, spiritual connection. But the the idea is you're you're taking your thinking mind out of the equation and it's all just flowing mm-hmm. and your hands going. And so Lady Doyle's writing messages and they're supposedly from Harry Houdini's mother. And as Sir Arthur Conan Doyle recounted it, Houdini looks grimmer and paler with each message that Lady Doyle's giving him. So I imagine her just writing it and throwing it across the table and writing something else. Right, right. And the way Harry Houdini wrote about the experience, he wondered how his mother suddenly started communicating in English when she only spoke German. Okay. And he also wondered why she was sending the sign of the cross in the messages when she was Jewish. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the beginning of the end for that friendship. Yeah, yeah, that would be. Well, and that's very personal for both of them in that moment. And I, I'd look at that story and I kind of wonder, like, if she was talking to a spirit and it was coming through because Lady Doyle was associated with the deities through Christianity, it comes in right. as a filter and does a spirits i mean in spiritualism as it's been explained to us i would assume they keep speaking the same language over in death if they're still aging and existing as they are now but i could also see at the time having an understanding that no no they speak in spirit talk and it comes out through the language we speak so yeah through the medium there i could see an explanation that could have been given to like smooth over those rejections I, I can accept that. The sign of the cross is a little different, but I can see how it's any interpreter you're using, right? Like you're you're limited by their vocabulary and their associations, regardless of what the input message is. So, yeah, I could see that being an explanation for why that happened in that way. And I don't know if that just wasn't a part of the language at the time and it was really mm. literal or what. But anyway, the riff starts because Sir Arthur Conan Doyle thinks Harry Houdini's calling his wife a fraud and Houdini is. (laughs) So Yeah, he's not wrong. So Houdini goes on to serve on panels of judges that are being gathered to test the validity of psychic phenomena. So they're trying to get actual objective proof and judged by a panel. This sounds like American Idol, but for a psychic. Well, there's hefty cash prizes being offered for anyone who can get past this panel of judges, or just one big cash prize, if they can prove legitimate phenomenon. Because it's not that the the skeptics don't want it to be true. They just don't want to be taken in. And they want to, well, specifically Harry Houdini wants to get frauds out of the public space because this is still highly publicized, accepted narrative. And so mm. as he was taken in by the idea that he could, he pawned off a watch to try to communicate with his dead dad. Yeah. You know, this real, so he knows. This real preying on people's vulnerability and yeah. wanting to get frauds out of the space or tricksters. And he he publishes books on stagecrafts and 
the tricks mediums are using, which again, to our modern eyes would just seem so ridiculous. But then it was big news. I mean, he included a recipe and like did reproductions of how people created ectoplasm. Ah, There it is. Which (laughs) I didn't realize was actually a thing outside of Ghostbusters. That it would be worth doing an episode on Ghostbusters because Dan Aykroyd and his family go like way back into spiritualism and uh, not ghostbusting, but like connecting with ghosts. Well, one of my big sources for this whole series was a book called Calling the Spirits, A History of Seances by a woman named Lisa Mm. Morton. And she has a whole section on how Ghostbusters changed the trajectory of the spiritual seance conversation. Well, because they used a lot of real vocabulary from it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's partially, has partially informed how we even think of it now. So, I mean, it's all building mm. on each other. But back to the good old 1920s. He goes, he shows how they're making fake spirit hands out of paraffin. So in the seances, oh, yeah. a, a real hand will come down. Yeah, <laughs> just a sp- wax, an immobile wax hand. hand. It really does sound that it's not what is happening. It's the narrative about what is happening. So his big thing was, yeah, he wanted to get mediums out of the newspaper, the public forum, and basically any place that just legitimized their claims by exposure. And sure. of all the publications, the Scientific American is at the heart of this whole thing. Of course they are. God bless so you, Scientific of, American. So a lot of the judges were like from Scientific American. It's this big, the institution oh. at the heart of this whole mm-hmm. spiritualism proving phenomenon, which I find just delightful. But what a what a PR move for them. Like, why not? You, you get to ride the exact same wave and retain your credibility. So the big quintessential medium investigated as a fact at this time is a woman named Marjorie Crandon. Hmm. And some interesting facts about her. She Marjorie is an alias given to her by the psychical investigation teams. Like the panel, you mean? It started as her like an alias to give her to protect her privacy and then she gets really famous but she starts became a brand oh yeah she was the super hot trophy wife of this harvard educated (laughs) surgeon i don't know i was picturing like a crone but no this is this is an older guy he's like two decades older than him basically with showing up and saying look my wife can can do this and apparently their house was just a rocking good time and she was actually technically never proven to be a fraud just voted to not be convincing enough to get the cash prize interesting and the case around her manages to illustrate a lot of things about spiritualism and investigation about the time and houdini spent the rest of his life trying to expose her as a fraud but what i find also very funny about their interaction is these aren't things happening in separate you know wings of the country they're having constant interaction and she's having (laughs) so much interaction that there is well let's just say so much interaction with the judges and i'll get to what Mm. that means Mm. a little bit later i have an idea because it sounds like what if anna nicole smith came out and was famous not for being a playmate but for holding seances well and then her husband is organizing the whole thing Mm -hmm. so she's put forth as being a medium worthy of investigation so the judges come around to their seances at their house which were definitely a thing I would go Mm -hmm. to those. Totally. And the objectiveness of these judges gets completely compromised. One ends up having an affair with her and and trying to get her to run away with him to Egypt. All right. Weird pitch. Another wants to bang her and he starts helping stage the seances. (laughs) Oh, wow. And meanwhile, Houdini sits in and he figures out how she does every single trick 
rings the bells, disembodied hands. Her big calling card, though, is this spirit called Walter. And he might have been... Wally! He might have been her actual deceased brother, or just a guy. I saw him referred to as brother. But he could would speak through her and be the one responsible for any spiritual sensations that people in the seance experienced. So touching of pockets, and she'd have this deep voice. Oh, Wally. At some point, she was tested by being put in the closet. And by the sounds of it, there were still effects produced in the room and still a voice. I couldn't get a clear understanding of how it worked when they put her in the closet, but it was a way of clearly isolating her and that stuff would still happen in the room. Okay. It just all sounds so bananas that I got a little murky on logistics. <laughs> I'm just imagining these two horn dogs just rubbing their hands together like Ebenezer Scrooge and Harry Houdini who is happily married being like but can she do it in the closet? Well he breaks down every one of her methods and he publishes about it but he can't get the traction to completely cancel her. <laughs> oh, She's just a oh, megastar. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's in her corner. These mm -hmm. investigators are in her corner and anyone who was a medium or had a hand in spiritualist operation and they have a like a dog in this fight mm -hmm. that or we finally have a, a beautiful buxom public face for this thing that we really want to be true well it's not just old ladies sitting in a strip mall with a sign these are huge operations that are mm -hmm. people's livelihoods and yeah there's a real sexy factor mediums yeah. were known to be covers for madams and sex workers and oh. mediums in the seances were known to wear really sexy clothing Okay. Yep. Everyone's getting their, their cut of this. I like it. And there were some wild reports about Marjorie wearing, not wearing a bra, getting people to touch Ooh. her boobs during it. Like, <laughs> there was a lot of, like, hands in the dark. <laughs> you just added a whole other dimension to these, like, seance parties. I heard a report that her husband would, like, pass around photos at the beginning because it's him and a bunch of dudes. Just like, look at this. So there's, it's not we're looking at multiple venn diagrams of faith entertainment yeah. vice business and harry houdini is just trying to cancel all of it for years right. sir arthur conan doyle is over here trying to connect with his mostly dead family and these other guys are basically just having a stag party i mean it got so heated he thought he'd be killed by an angry medium He's being Probably sued. Probably not an unreasonable. He's being sued, what, for like libel? Pretty much. He's being sued nonstop to the point where he sells all his belongings to his wife for a dollar in case he loses some court cases. Oh, the and, ultimate escape artist. And it was going full steam. I mean, I quote, last year I quoted you, it was like 1922. He dies in 1926. I mean, it's going full speed. Wow. So he, he really turned even on his own stagecraft, like... He's not even touring at this point as a performer. He's touring as a skeptic. I think he was doing both. Oh. Because he was, I was reading the timelines and he was fitting in these seances and then having to like go off to Buffalo for a show. I see. Wow. And there's yeah, a whole, out. and he had this trick where he could take a punch. He could take any punch and it was really right, him clenching right. his abs. And he started getting just clocked, walking around, reading the paper constantly. <laughs> And there's a whole theory that it wasn't just random. It was actually people were put up by mediums or angry mediums. And it was a bit of a conspiracy. Like he had wow. a mark on his back. Or on his tummy. So he gives his wife a code before he dies so that if she used a medium, she yeah. could verify it's really him. Yeah. And she did it for a ton of years. He died on, on Halloween, which is spooky. Ooh, good and for him. 
Houdini Sansas are still a thing to this day. After she did it, it was a business partner and then his son. And it got open to the public sometime in the 2000s. It's a whole thing. Wait, are they passing the code word along? Yeah, and they or tried is this it. public knowledge now? I think it's public knowledge now, but at the time when mm. it was still closed by descendants and friends, it was... Like the Ring of Power. And yeah, they opened it up in mid-2000s and they sell tickets and the Houdini seances are totally a thing. I mean, that sounds like a good way to spend a Saturday night. But the wild thing is he dies in 1926, Marjorie goes on and keeps having supporters, keeps doing seances until she dies in the 40s. I mean, it's it's a more pleasant... Even Houdini wanted it to be true. So a few people are just a little more willing to let it be true. I mean, and so much of the stuff we would call out as now. There was glow in the dark, floating hands, you have bells. I mean, so much of the stage magician yeah. stuff. But it's also, what is it representing? And besides all the religious and social stuff we mentioned first, this element of vice and entertainment is totally fascinating yeah and completely familiar completely and so let's see if i can get us to the fun modern leftovers of this whole thing so in the 1920s the spiritualist churches are continuing and a woman named leafy anderson she started the church of eternal life in new orleans for african-american spiritualists because obviously there was segregation in the community yeah. <laughs> we can only accept so much and she started an association for related spiritualist churches, so making a network. And while she does it, she's also offering readings and other services that continuously got her in trouble with the law. How? Readings? Readings like psychic readings or readings of dead people, seances. These and it's getting her in trouble. What is she? Is she trying to like solve crimes or something? I think she's getting picked up for it. It's or is seen this as one of somehow those... deviant behavior. And she's black in New Orleans. I mean... Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. But she gets out of it by telling judges things about themselves that she couldn't have known in the courtroom, and they just let her go. What? That is a serious flex, and I love it. I found that pretty wild. And she went on to just be a very big figure in the establishment of the role of spiritualism, African-American churches, and that lineage. And and what time period do you say we're in with her? The 20s in New Orleans. Okay. Huh. And so in 1951, British Parliament revoked the Witchcraft Act of 1735. Been on the books for a while. Wow. And they replaced it with the Fraudulent Mediums Act. So they want to hunt witches, they're just updating the vernacular? And it was pretty all pretty targeted towards a woman named Helen Duncan, who was still using 1920s tricks like 30 years later, yeah. and there wasn't, clearly wasn't the audience for it. She's claiming to be yeah. producing ectoplasm, and it's really just cheesecloth coming out of her mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just shows how in such a short time, the patience for it is gone, as it was. Right. I mean, look at how CG has developed in the movies over the last 20 years. Okay, so where do these big roots of spiritualism totally lead us? It starts in the 1850s by everyone getting on board with the haunting. It sprouts mm -hmm. a different spirituality that starts to encompass social values, leads to stage magicians, leads to psychology, and leads ultimately to mediums as how we think of them now. John Edward, Sylvia Brown, and the enduring distaste and expectation that they're frauds this 50 50 that we saw mm -hmm. all the way back with the fox sisters and what that said leads to ouija boards as we understand them popularly and modern hauntings that you know i think of amityville horror which the book yeah. 
came out in the 70s, but it still needed a retraction. It still needed to be debunked because of the satanic panic at the time. Right. Which, again, satanic panic as a concept we will do many episodes about, I'm sure. <laughs> so there's there's a real tension, it seems, throughout the entire history of spiritualism as compatible with Christianity and like devout theistic faith and spiritualism being branded or rejected as negatively occult or associated with the satanic or dark arts or whatever. Or just the, the dichotomy that we see in modern understandings of mainstream, acceptable, this is true, and mm. a more liberal understanding of what's possible. The, the dichotomy at the core of every topic we're going to cover in this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not... It, the lesson you've taught me here, I think, mostly is, or what I'm going to take home the most, is the skeptic as wanting it to be true, but needing it to be verified. It's it's not a rejection of the belief system. It's just a very incredulous look at the evidence. We can compare the experiences of Mary Robbins Post and Houdini. Both mm -hmm. I, Houdini more documentedly wanted it to be real. And I think Mary Robbins Post was just like, hmm. I mean, she goes and sees the show and she experiences is it real, but that experience isn't enough for her. Then you have these subsequent factors of right. being exposed to a new way of thinking about it, written philosophy, and having it hit home. And I think that experience versus it really landing are kind of crucial to be sandwiching mm. an education of sorts. And I think this formula can be used for good or for ill. And we'll probably yeah. explore that at a later time. But I see that as much more powerful than just saying, oh, it happened to me and now I believe. I don't think that endures the same way. And I wouldn't be surprised right. if we dug into Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, if his journey from man of materialism to guy who believes in fairies wasn't also bookended in that way of something happened. I was exposed to a way of explaining why that makes sense. And mm -hmm. then it really hit. That's kind of like dream interpretation, right? You you kind of, everybody dreams for the most part. Does it mean something? And if it does mean something, if they matter, then what do they mean? And it, it is a little bit of a, a stair step to believe one thing and accept the next thing, especially if they're all compelling and on some level sound like something that you prefer to the alternative. I was thinking more about law of attraction and the idea mm -hmm. that we bring to us essentially what's what we're focusing on or what's in our in our mind right so when you're let's say really thinking about that red car that you want to buy and then you start seeing them everywhere a friend yeah. drives it up you start getting exposed to it and starts to oh man this is working i mean isn't that a cognitive bias the more you hear something the more readily you accept it as true possibly because if you get exposed to let's say law of attraction working and then you read literature about it, of which there's plentiful, and we'll do a whole episode where I scream about how much I don't like the law of attraction. Yeah. <laughs> but then, and then you have it work for you. I mean, that's a bookend conversion formula right there. But I think in the case of Mary Morton's Post, with a personal journey of spirituality, not spiritualism as we're talking about it here, but spirituality as the journey of the self, that's more what I'm seeing the value in versus yeah. I think Houdini was really right to start getting some of these people out of the public space and doing it as a private citizen long before the Brits got around to repealing the witchcraft <laughs> act. 
And what did they call it? The fake psychic act? The, the fraudulent mediums act. The fraudulent mediums act. Ah, oh, poetry. Okay, but let's get tidy up the present. Spiritualist churches still exist. And I have a definition from the National Spiritualist Association of Churches. So this is the, the definition they would self-identify with. This was on their website. Okay, okay. <laughs> a spiritualist is one who believes, as the basis of his or her religion, in the communication between this and the spirit world by means of mediumship, and whose endeavors to mold his or her character and conduct in accordance with the highest teachings derived from such communication. So we've, we've been very focused on spirits as formerly living people. But that definition sounds a lot less focused on death and makes me wonder, like, obviously there were a lot of reasons why people would be talking about returning from the dead type spirits. Does spiritualism encompass like non-human spirit entities? Like you didn't used to be, you know, a person, you're not my grandfather, you're like, you're from the spirit world. You didn't get there. I'm sure it does because we see that with... Well, not in this context, but we see that with a lot of New Age books that have been transcribed through trances or communicating with spirits. Seth Speaks is a big one. Sure. And I think A Course in Miracles was also thought to have been transcribed that way. So that formula exists. But what I think this opens up here in the current spiritualist church model is basically accepting divinity or Jesus to come down and give you... Yeah. I think it opens the door for that, which is more in line with the pan-religious status quo. Right, and right. So I went down a rabbit hole then of trying to figure out what they were all about. And so this was another thing they wrote. A spark of divinity in all of us. We have a personal responsibility for our lives. Death is the doorway to the spirit world. We are spirit persons encased in a physical body. As we live our life, we make our happiness or unhappiness, both in the earth life and the spirit life. Spirit people are conscious beings who can and do communicate with those on earth, and spirit communication and healing power is demonstrated as a part of our religion. That I like that version better than the original definition you offered. It it's a little a little more grounded, I want to say. Well, it's keeping this aspect of direct spiritual communication as a key function right. of the religion and a your direct connection. It's not, it's still staying. I imagine there's still the seance table, though it's probably a gym floor <laughs> yeah. somewhere. Right. But they've, what they've really done is laid out a very, very basic belief system and a general encouragement to practice that belief through some form of reaching out or creating a space to make contact. Well, speaking of creating space, they had on that website a whole national registry of churches and camps, specifically camps around the country. Camps. And I couldn't tell if it was, it didn't look like a summer camp as I remember them, but it was, <laughs> I'd looked at one in my home state of Washington and yeah. it definitely looked like a camp of some sort. So I imagine a retreat. It was a retreat facility, like it was a barn, sure. there were buildings. And anyway, on their website, they had principles. So we believe in infinite intelligence. We believe in the phenomena of nature, both physical and spiritual, are the expression of infinite intelligence. We affirm hmm. that a correct understanding of such expression and living in accordance with it constitutes true religion. We affirm that the existence and personal identity of the individual continue after the change called death. We affirm that communication with the so-called dead is a fact scientifically proven by the phenomena of spiritualism. We believe that the highest morality is contained in the golden rule, 
do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We affirm that the moral responsibility of individuals and that we make our own happiness or unhappiness as we obey or disobey nature's laws and spiritual laws. We affirm that the doorway to reformation is never closed against any soul here or hereafter. And we affirm that the precepts of prophecy and healing are divine attributes proven through mediumship. So you slipped a really, really big one in there among all the kind of familiar life after death, spirits are real, nature is real. So they're like anti-condemnation. Am I hearing that light? We believe in reformation as in no matter how bad of a person you are, you can redeem yourself. It's never closed against any soul here or hereafter. Huh. See, that I can see that being very unappealing to a lot of people. Like so much of it is the death of the innocent and missing the ones that you love. But I can also see how people with a very retributive sense of justice would not like the spiritualist idea that someone really bad won't be punished for for the harm and suffering that they cause in life. Yes, I mean, the concluding thought that I, I mean, from all this that I thought was really fascinating was, and this came from one of my sources, quote, interpretations of spiritualism that dismiss hordes of truth seekers as benighted kooks ignore that sincere longings that attracted people to the movement and fail to locate spiritualism within the context of the cosmological alternatives available in the mid-19th century. So kind of don't be a dick, really. Well, have some empathy for people as they seek answers or reassurance or whatever well in that vein of cause what were the cosmological alternatives at the time and <laughs> you pointing out that fact about condemnation is a very he feels like a pretty big you know cosmological alternative within what otherwise were pretty standard tenets of faith yeah it's very explicitly anti-puritanical but it's also very explicitly preserving this role of mediumship, of we can talk to dead people. Right, it can be right. done. It is done. We have a direct line to spirits. Well, and depending on your relationship to the deceased, that might be a line toward forgiveness and finding peace in this life by giving permission for someone in the next life to find peace. Well, it definitely anchors that idea that after death, a spirit can essentially be reformed. And I, I've heard of a right. lot of cosmological alternatives, to borrow their wording, that talk about how, let's say, the past, the deceased, if they really sucked in life, right. would have a reckoning in death, not necessarily the fire and brimstone kind, but will have in the spirit world ultimate perspective, because the spirit being separate from the body in that way. But it seems here pretty clearly laid out that they can't, the spirit can continue to evolve and is not, yeah. the eternal soul is not condemned because the soul continues on. It's an interesting thought that you'll have the afterlife as an opportunity to not just go through a, a sensation of remorse, but actually communicate that remorse and regret to the living if that's the, the focus of your guilt. I could see that being... Man, talk about... Wouldn't that be healing? Let's all go to Camp right? Edgewood in Milton, Washington and have a seance with our less than nice relatives that are dead and Let's hear them say it. they're sorry. I'll meet you there. Uh, so quick uh, nod to some of the sources. Uh, the national, mm. the website for the National Spiritualist Association of Churches, website for Camp Edgewood in Milton, Washington, and 
I didn't reference her much, but there is Sylvia Brown's book, The Other Side and Back, A Psychic's Guide to Our World and Beyond. Anne Brode, the book Radical Spirits. Lisa Morton, Calling All Spirits, A History of Seances. David Jehar, The Witch of Lime Street, Seance Seduction and Houdini in the Spirit World. Yes. And there we go. Well, it it seems like we're going to have to hold a seance. So I think we need to go to the the spiritualist website that you were reading from and see if they offer advice for uh, post-pandemic seances through Zoom or something. Hey, the only way to know is to try. Let's do it. <laughs> but don't be naked. No, not that kind of seance. <laughs>